Amen. Definitely appreciate that. It's always a good thing to remember. Jesus is coming again. All right, let's turn to the book of Judges in your Bibles. Book of Judges, chapter 16. Again, definitely thankful for the visitors we have with us this morning. Um, if you don't like the preaching, uh, just come back next week when our pastor is preaching, and I'm sure it'll be, it'll be much better then. Notice a lot of people took this week to be out hunting, so a little coincidental. Judges chapter 16, we're going to be looking at uh, Samson, probably the, one of the most famous judges uh, that is, is uh, recorded here in the Word of God, of course famous for the Nazarite vow that he took. With the, He was not allowed to cut his hair, and there were several other um, vows that went with that. He was not supposed to take any, anything from the vine, that couldn't, couldn't uh, have any grape product at all, anything like that. And then he was also not supposed to touch a dead body. Most Nazarite vows were for a short time period. It was supposed to be just for a short time, but Samson, because of the miraculous way God uh, promised his, his birth, um, was supposed to be a Nazarite from his birth for the, his entire life. And so uh, we'll, look, we'll look here. We're going to be looking at the end of his life. If you're familiar with the story of Samson, he is a man that constantly disregarded his, the vows that he had. Um, the Nazarite vows, he was constantly disobeying. He was a man, if you look through what is uh, the few chapters that record his life, he lived for himself for the most part, and he was able to, God still used him to deliver um, Israel out of the hand of the Philistines quite often. Um, but we're going to be looking here at the end of his life. I think that one of the saddest verses in the Bible will serve as our text. But we're going to start reading in Judges chapter 16. Now let's start in verse 17. Of course, he is talking with Delilah. Delilah has several times tried to find out the source of his strength so she can take that from him and the Philistines can capture him. And he's told her several things, uh, several lies, and now... She is pressing on him greatly. Pick it up in verse 17. That he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. I want to, to stress here, and we'll probably stress it a little bit later in the, chat, in the uh, message as well. This is... His hair, the long hair, was not what gave him power. It was what gave him his connection to God, the presence of God, the power of God on his life because of the Nazarite vow. Um, so don't go out thinking you've got long hair, you're going to go out and have great strength. That is, that is not, here it wasn't with Samson. It was, it was merely the connection to his Nazarite vow, giving him the power from God. So let's pick it up in verse 18. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once. For he hath showed me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man. And she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. But he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Let's go ahead and, and open in a word of prayer here. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for um, another chance to come into your house and to, and to learn from your word. I pray that um, you speak to us, Lord, as only you can. 
Lord, you touch the, the, the hearts and, the, and meet the needs of those who are in here uh, this morning, whether it be salvation, uh, if they've never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today be the day of salvation for them, or whatever the need might be, Lord, I pray that you show yourself real in the lives of us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, the last verse we read there, especially that last sentence, and he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Just a really sad verse, a sad account here of Samson. He has now reached the point in his life that he does not even recognize that the Spirit of God has departed from him. And again, as if you went through and read the rest of the chapter, uh, you would see it was an extremely dangerous place to be. Samson had been in numerous predicaments like this, but because he had God's spirit, God's power in his life, he was able to overcome much. And, and he references that. I will go out as at other times and shake myself. Uh, but, of course, he no longer had the power of God. It cost him his freedom. Uh, the Philistines captured him. They put out his eyes. It cost him his eyesight. And then we know it ended up costing his life as well. He ended up dying as a captive of the Philistines. And so it's a, it's a, a, sad, a sad account here of Samson. Um, again, it's an extremely dangerous place to be when he no longer recognized the Spirit of God. When you no longer have God's power in your life, you are set up for failure. Um, but how many, how many Christians are in this sad state to where they don't even know that God's power is no longer on their life? They think they still have God's power. And whether it be through self-deception or through whatever else they're trusting in, they think they still have God's power in their life, but they do not. I would bring it a little bit closer to home. How many of us in this church are in this situation? Just because you think you have God's power on your life, God's blessing on your life, does not mean you have God's power, God's blessing on your life. Samson thought he did, and he clearly did not. And again, if you think you are safe from this spiritual condition, that this could never happen to you, uh, you are in extreme danger. Um, first, uh, the Bible tells us that, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Um, so if you think you'll never get to this point in your life where you're not going to recognize that God's power, God's blessing is no longer on your life, I would say you are especially in danger. Now we know God's presence is all, will always be there. God is, is omnipresent. He'll always be there. If you're saved, the Holy Ghost dwells inside of you. He is not leaving you. That's not what I'm talking about here um, for, for, with the application side of things. But God's power, God's blessing on our life, will be determined by how we live our life. Just like Samson here, the Spirit of God moved in a different way that in the Old Testament. He, was, he had come upon Samson, he was, had been with Samson his entire life, but now that Samson's last part of the Nazarite vow has been severed, God's power has now left. His presence was no longer there. So for us, we can also reach the point that Samson reached in our text, that the power of God is no longer residing in our life, and we can't even recognize it. We don't even know that it's missing. Now when this takes place, I hope we understand that we are powerless to escape the danger that is around us. Without God's power, we will fall into sin. It is only through his power that we can escape temptation. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. 
Christ told his disciples. It is only through God's power that we can escape the sin that is tempting us. So how does this occur in a life? How did Samson get to this point? How can we get to the point to where God's power is no longer on our lives and we don't even know it? We can't even recognize the fact. How do we become so dull of the spiritual sense that we can't even realize something that vital is missing? So that's what we're going to be looking at. The title of this message is Something is Missing, or you could say, Is Something Missing? Are you missing the power of God? Are you missing God in your life? So two main points here. We're going to look at how this takes place. How the doling of the spiritual sense occurs. And we're going to look at Samson's life to demonstrate that. And then we're going to look at how we can keep that sense heightened, if you want to put it that way. How we can make sure that sense stays sensitive. So first, of all, we'll, first off, we'll look at the doling of the spiritual sense. Again, Samson's life gives us a picture of how dangerous this is, uh, how dangerous of a point this is when it is reached by a child of God. He's taken captive by the Philistines and, of course, ends up destroying his life. Now, as we look at this point, we have to constantly check to make sure that our lives don't have these uh, points that Samson had in his life. Again, regardless of our own perceived spirituality, we're going to go through three things that we see from Samson's life that led to this doling of the spiritual sense. And if you see one of these points present in your life, you may be on the same track as Samson, especially if you see multiple points, the same uh, multiple points as Samson had. So the first thing, I think the, the most important thing that we see that leads to the doling of the spiritual sense in our life is a disregard for God's word. Let's look at Judges 14, just a few chapters back. Judges chapter 14. As I mentioned, Samson is a lifelong Nazarite. As such, he had several vows that he was required to uphold. Let's read verses 5 through 9. Judges 14, verses 5 through 9. It says that, Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. He's looking at a prospective bride. And after a time, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hand and went on eating and came to his father and his mother. And he gave them, and they did eat. But he told them not of what, that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So again, remember Samson's vows. He's not supposed to take of any... Anything that was of the fruit of the vine. But here he is, in verse 5, he's walking through some vineyards. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he took of any grapes or anything like that. But he is in a place where he should not be as a Nazarite. Um, again, a great temptation would, would arise, and I personally think he did partake of it. Um, because as he's going through here, his parents are not with him. Ones that would say, you're not supposed to be doing that as a Nazarite. 
uh, he left, he sometime left his parents, went on ahead, most likely, and he goes through this vineyard. Of course, we see a lion comes upon him, the Spirit of the Lord. You see the power uh, of God at play as he, as he takes this lion, doesn't have a weapon, and he, he just kills the lion pretty easily. But again, um, what was he doing in the vineyard? Pretty, pretty suspicious, considering uh, he wasn't with his parents. And then also, he, after he returns, he goes to see the carcass of the lion, and there's honey coming out. So he goes and he takes the honey out of the carcass of the lion. This would definitely be a, a direct breach of a Nazarite vow. He is touching a dead body. And not only is it a breach of, as of a vow, it's, it's pretty disgusting. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, and he, gives this, he takes the honey, eats of the honey, gives it to his parents, doesn't tell them he got it out of a dead lion. Um, and he gives them, gives them the honey, and they ate. So you see a disregard for God's word. Nazarite vow was laid out in, in the Levitical law. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. He knew what he had to do to keep those vows, to uphold those vows. But he just completely disregarded God's word to his life. We know his disregard for God's word was also not limited to his indifference toward his vows. But also other areas of God's word, as in our passage, he is going down to marry a Philistine. Something that was forbidden by uh, the Levitical law. They were not supposed to intermarry with the nations that were in the promised land. So he's disregarding not only his Nazarite vows, he's disregarding a general uh, law to the Israelites. They were not supposed to marry, intermarry with a Philistine. So he has a complete disregard of God's word in his life. Pretty shocking, but how often does that occur in our life? How do we react to instruction from God's Word? Again, be assured, if we disregard the Word of God, we will begin to be calloused to those spiritual senses. The Word of God is critical in our life to stay sensitive to God's presence, to God's leading Again, I believe this is the biggest thing that we can point to in Samson's life, as well as our own life, that would lead to the failure to recognize God's power is no longer on his life. So, how do we treat the commands of God? How do we treat the Word of God? Do we treat it with indifference? Oh, it's, you know, if I happen to obey it, that's great, you know, but if I don't, eh, it's not, not that big of a deal. Just treat it with indifference, with a disregard, kind of like how most people treat the speed limit. If I happen to obey, it's great. If not, it's not that big of a deal. Um, speed limit is, is a law placed by man. This is God's law. V- extremely more, way more important than, than, any, than a man, a man, one of man's law. Uh, but how do we treat it? How do we treat God's word? How do we treat God's laws to us? He tells us how we are supposed to live. God lays it out very clearly what he expects a child of his to do. What he expects his life to look like. But do we just disregard the commands and go along our merry way? Does it really matter to us if our lives are in accordance with the Word of God? Again, if we disregard the Word of God, we will cease to have His protection. We will cease to have His strength in our life. Let's turn to Matthew 7. Christ made this point at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7. How do we handle the Word of God? Again, 
again. Matthew 7, verse 24 is where we'll start. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus himself made this point that when we disregard his word, our life will lead to ruin, will lead to destruction. So how are we handling the word of God? Do we just disregard it? Do we treat it with indifference? It's not that important in our life and how we live our lives. Or do we put it as a foundation for how we live our lives? As it was said there about the wise man. He built his house, he built his life upon the word of God. And that is how we should be living it. Else our senses, the spiritual senses, will become dull. So first off, Samson had a disregard for the word of God. But Samson was also consumed with self. Let's turn back to the book of Judges. We'll look at chapter 16 and verse 1. Our spiritual senses are dulled when we disregard the word of God, but they're also dulled when we are consumed with self. Judges 16, verse 1. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. Now, again, if you look through Samson's life, you would see it was filled with the desire to please himself. It was all about him. Now, immorality was common for him. He went into harlots all the time. And obviously, we know sexual sins will quickly quench any sensitivity to the spirit uh, in our lives. But a pleasing of self or a consumption with self is not confined to sexual sins only. When our lives are controlled by our selfish desires, we are living opposite of how God wants us to live. What are some other selfish desires that are at play? Well, we've got narcissism where everything is just all about you. You cannot focus on someone else. A selfishness, how quickly selfishness Uh, destroys relationships between friends, between uh, family members. Um, Or you have covetousness. is also a a selfish desire that many people follow. And they don't care who they hurt in their their chase of what they are coveting after, whether it be money, whether it be uh, fame, or, or, or what have you. There are many selfish desires that could pop up in our life. And if our lives are consumed with self, we won't be sensitive to the Spirit at all. Again, when our, when, we con- when our life is consumed with ourselves, we no longer have, we'll no longer have the strength of the Lord on our lives. And as such, we will be in great danger. One of the commentaries I read made this great point when talking about um, Samson when he's taken by the Philistines, when he's falling asleep in the lap of Delilah. And he made this statement, if we sleep in the lap of our lusts, we shall certainly wake in the hands of the Philistines. If we are just so consumed with our own desires, and that's where we lay down, that's where we reside, then it is no surprise that we will be taken by the enemy. We will fall into captivity. If we sleep in the lap of our lust, we shall certainly wake in the hands of the Philistines. 
Now, the Bible is clear that the flesh and the Spirit of God are diametrically opposed. Indulgence of one necessarily means a denial of the other. If we indulge the, the flesh, we indulge ourselves, we will be denying the Spirit of God. If we indulge the Spirit of God, we are denying self. Whosoever will, will uh, come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, you must deny yourself. So the more spirit, those that are more spiritual are less sensitive to the desires of the flesh, or at least they are not ruled by the desires of the flesh. And those that are ruled by the flesh are less sensitive to the spirit. A dulling of the spiritual will take place. So a disregard for the word of God, a consumption with self. And then also, one of the things that dulls the spirit, or this may also be a result of the dulling of the spiritual sense, is we assume the presence of God. Samson said, I'm going to go out, I'm going to shake myself as at other times. He's assuming God's power is still on our life. Let's turn to the book of Luke. We see another occurrence where an assumption of God's presence was made. Luke chapter 2. Read verses 43 and 44. Luke 2, verse 43. And when, this is talking about Mary and Joseph. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they saw him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. Of course, they had to go back to Jerusalem. He was still at Jerusalem. And it's amazing where they find Jesus. He's in the temple. If you ever get away from God, you always find him back at the house of God. Um, just, just amazing. I love how, how, that, how that took place. But Mary and Joseph assumed his presence. Oh, he's with, he's with some of the family as we're traveling back to our hometown. Samson assumed God's presence, God's power on his life. And this is more common than we think. Let's look back at our lives. We can all remember a time when we're heading to a church service to do some ministry, maybe. And we didn't consciously stop and seek God's blessing or seek God's power on that. We just go to church. We assume God's going to be there, that God is going to speak to us. God's going to work in our lives. We just assume it. But it's not always going to be the case. And again, more, more than just a flippant prayer, Lord, please bless us. Now, sometimes that's all you have time for. I understand that. But actually stopping and, and consciously seeking God's power, God's blessing on what is about to take place, a church service. Again, maybe you're going out and doing some kind of ministry, some church function. Do we stop? When was the last time we stopped and consciously sought God's power, God's blessing on that event? On our lives, for God to speak to us personally when we come to church to hear from God's word. Don't just assume the presence, the power of God on your life. Again, if Samson would have examined his life, he would have known he had little reason to assume God's power. If he would have stopped and thought about it, he's like, you know what? My, hair, my head feels a little bit lighter. If he would have just thought about it a little bit more, maybe he would have said, I don't have God's power in my life. I can't go out as at other times. But he did not. He assumed God's power was still there. Again, it's extremely likely he made this assumption based on past victories. Another practical warning for us 
Um, just because God has given us victory in the past does not mean victory is, is about to take place in the future. Uh, don't assume the presence of God. So the doling of the spiritual, how does that take place? Disregard for the word of God, the consumed with self, and then just assuming God's presence. Um, if you have those three things in your life, you are in great danger. If you have one of them, I would advise a, a break check. Stop and think about your life. Examine your life. Now, how do we heighten the spiritual sense? How do we avoid the condition Samson felt himself or found himself in when the Spirit of God was departed and he didn't even know it? How do we ensure that we are sensitive to God's presence and to His Spirit? Many things you could, many points you could make with this. We're going to confine the answer to just three points here this morning. Number one, heed the warning. Heed the word of God. Pay attention. Let's look at Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs chapter one, verse twenty-three. This is wisdom crying out, and and wisdom. Uh, Jesus Christ is called the wisdom of God. So here we have a, a call out to those who are. <clears throat> To the simple ones, uh, the ones who are uh, devoid of knowledge. But we see a, a call here, verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. But there has to be a turning at the reproof. There has to be a paying attention, a regard for the word of God, a regard for the wisdom of God. Samson throughout his life had things that should have warned him. That he was going away from God. But he did not take heed to the warning. So he fell into captivity. So when the reproof comes in our life, don't bow up against it. Don't dig in your heels against the word of God. Say, well, I'm going to live my life how I want to get it. And just disregard the word of God. Heed the warning. Heed the instruction from God's word. Again, maybe, maybe you know you haven't been living right and God's word is coming to you and it's like that light. It's shining on your life saying, here's the problem. Don't disregard it. God's word is like a light. It will do that. But God's word is also as a hammer. And it will come and it will break the hardened life. As Samson had happened in his life. The Bible says, he that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. If you keep disregarding the warning, keep disregarding the word of God, destruction will come suddenly, as it did with Samson. And your life will fall into ruin. Heed the warning, I plead with you. Heed the warning from the word of God. Don't disregard it. So we can heighten the spiritual sense by having that regard for the word of God, by heeding the warnings that are found in God's word. Another way to heighten the spiritual sense is to keep that love of God in place. Let's look at John chapter 21. John 21, this is after the resurrection of Christ. He has met with the disciples twice. And this will be the third time he meets with them. And there's, I believe it's seven of them are out on a uh, boat fishing. And Christ comes on the shore. 
John 21, he calls out to him in verses 5 and 6. And then verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, of course being the apostle John, saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. The one, the, it is no surprise that the apostle who focused most on the love of God, you look at the, the, uh, his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you look at the Gospel of John, the love of God is constantly brought up. And it's no surprise that the one who is most conscious of God's love is the one who recognizes Christ first, recognizes his presence, his power first. It would be John. Again, when we recognize how much Christ loves us, it should cause a return love for Christ. He made, John made, made that point in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. And think of how quickly, when we're thinking about the presence and recognizing the presence, think of how quickly we can recognize a loved one in a crowd. Sometimes just by their mannerisms. We can't even see their face, but we look and we say, oh, that's so-and-so. We recognize them because of that love we have for them. We know them. And so we can pick them out on a crowd. We can recognize their presence very quickly because of that love we have. And love for God is the same. We will recognize his presence more keenly when we keep that love for God in place. And again, a fervent love for God will always ensure that we are close to God. Now, the next point goes hand in hand with this. How do we keep the senses heightened to recognize that whether his power is on our lives or not? And that is to prioritize his presence and not just his help. Prioritize the presence of God, not just the help or the blessing that he gives. Let's turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Exodus 33, Exodus the second book in the Bible. We'll look at a couple verses here. Exodus 33. We'll read verses 2 and 3 and then we'll jump down to verse 15. This is right after Israel has made the golden calves. Uh, they've been judged by it. Now God or Moses has gone back up to speak with God in the mount. Exodus 33, verse 2. And I will send, this is God speaking, I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. God here is saying, I'm going to send an angel. He'll, he'll go with you. He'll, he'll help you conquer the land. But my pre- I'm not going to go with you in the middle of you, because you're, you're just too stiff-necked. You've just made idols. Two golden calves. You've turned away from me so quickly out of Egypt. I'm not gonna, my presence is not going to go with you. I'll send an angel to help out. Let's read verses 14 and 15. This is after Moses has interceded for the people. God speaking again, verse 14. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And then Moses responds, And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Now, how many of us would have been satisfied with the angel of God going before us and helping us conquer what we wanted? How many of us are satisfied with receiving God's blessings without experiencing his presence and his power in our lives? 
Now, we can often received, receive secondhand blessings. Uh, blessings that affect us, but were not, giving to us, were not given to us directly. Growing up in America would be one of those. It's a secondhand blessing. God has blessed this nation because it was founded on Christian principles. It was founded on the Word of God. And so there is a, an inherent blessing that comes to its inhabitants because of the founding of the, the founding of the nation was godly. But it is not a direct blessing to our life, but we do partake of some of the blessings of that. Being part of a godly church could be another second-hand blessing that we receive. We have a certain amount of biblical instruction because we have a, a pastor who seeks to impart God's word to us. And so we have a certain level of instruction from the word of God. That should not be our only instruction from the word of God. We should have our own personal walk with God from whence God can instruct us. But we do have some because of being in this church. Uh, a godly family uh, can also be a second-hand blessing. You know, we can be glad also that our family has a good church to fellowship with. But are we doing our part to make sure that our family has God's presence leading it? Or do we just say, well, I'm glad all these other families have God's presence in them because they're good companions to be around. Just basking in the second-hand blessing. How many of us are satisfied with just that? Instead of seeking to know God and seeking to actually have His power resting directly in our lives. How many of us are satisfied just with the help of God, His blessing, rather than His presence? We can also liken it to a relationship between spouses. It is the presence that should be cherished. The person of the, of the, other, of the spouse. Not what they bring to the marriage. Not what they bring to the home, the person themselves. How cold is that relationship that only values the money that the husband brings in? Or only values the, the let's say, the, um, the, the keeping of the home provided by the wife? Uh, you, you just do a good job of, of keeping the house clean and of cooking, so that's what I cherish about you. Man, what a cold relationship to be in. And this, my husband makes good money. That's the only reason I keep him around. That's not how a marriage should be. Marriage should be the cherishing of the other, of the spouse themselves, not what they bring. And our relationship with God should be the same thing. The cherishing of the relationship with God himself, knowing that he is there, that he is our exceeding great reward. Not just the fact that he has blessed us, but prioritizing his presence not what he brings. Prioritizing God. That I may know him, the Apostle Paul said. No one would want to be in a relationship that you, where you are, your only value that you bring is what you do. That's a work type relationship. That's not going to breed a closeness. We like to be cherished for who we are. And God is the same way. He wants to be cherished. He wants to be followed because of who he is, not because of the blessings he gives. Do we prioritize his presence, or do we just prioritize the blessing or the help that he gives us? So how sensitive are you this morning? 
Would you be like Samson? God's spirit, his power, his presence could be could depart from you. Wouldn't even change your life. It's not even noticeable. And if you can answer that you are walking with God right now, that his presence, his power is on your life, I would exhort you to keep that love for God fervent. Make sure you have that passion for God. Value his presence, not just his blessings. Prioritize God's presence. Let's close our, let's bow our head, close our eyes, and we'll close here. Of course, this message was mainly 